Uh, people of God, we are <clears throat> very privileged tonight to welcome to the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church, the Reverend Charles J. Flesher and uh, Chuck and his wife, Kathy, his godly, gentle wife, um, are here visiting us for the weekend and are, he is here to preach the word of God to us. <clears throat> Chuck, for many, many years, pastored in the Ohio Bible Fellowship in uh, Ohio and is now retired from pastoral ministry, but real preachers don't retire. And so for the past number of years, uh, he has been working with the Associated Gospel Churches, which is an organization that came out of the old modernist fundamentalist controversy when it was not possible for uh, some of those churches that had come out of modernist denominations to have endorsers for chaplains. And so this organization continues as an endorsing organization for uh, chaplains that will work in hospitals, primarily in the military, and also in prisons. There's a sign-up sheet back there in the corner on that stand if you want their newsletter so that you can pray for those that are uh, supported by the Associated Gospel Churches, Bible-believing men who will be, especially in the military, uh, serving the Lord. Uh, I hope you don't mind a personal word again. Um, Chuck was a pastor to me when I was um, just over 13, 14, uh, 15, that age. Yes, I really was 14 years old once. And uh, just a, a faithful man of God, faithful in the pulpit, and um, a young man at that time. And he took me under his wing. He was not there in Macon, Georgia, my hometown, very long. But while there, he did much for me. He introduced me to Vicki. Um, he would pick me up in his little blue Volkswagen and take me on his pastoral calls. And we would talk about theology in the car. We would talk about particular redemption and electing grace and all of these wonderful, rich truths. He is the first one to put Jake Russell Machen's The Virgin Birth of Christ into my hands. Uh, I owe him a lot. And among the many memories, one that actually just came to me while I was sitting up here is that Chuck had a radio broadcast and he would record something. I think it went out every, every evening. And um, so he would record it every day and it went throughout Macon. People would listen to it. It was on a secular station and he would preach the gospel. Uh, it was a short sermon, short exposition of, of the Word of God. And one day he took me there to the radio uh, station with him. And uh, he put me in front of the microphone and he said, okay, record. And uh, right, just like that, no preparation, no anything. And so that night, my, one of my early sermons was heard throughout Macon, Georgia, uh, over the radio. I guess he thought I must have some sense of call to ministry, which I did, or otherwise he wouldn't have done that. But there's so much that I could say. Um, young people, if you have faithful pastors and elders and godly people in your life that he puts there over the years, um, count yourself blessed. I do count myself blessed. And so, Chuck, we welcome you to our pulpit.
You can't fall out of this one very easily. Well, thank you, and it is good to be with you. And the first thing I want to say uh, as far as commendation, uh, wonderful, wonderful singing and wonderful, wonderful hymns. Now, since we've been doing this since 2017, we've been in nearly 200 churches and in 17 states. And you can imagine not all of those churches have good quality biblical music. So it is a joy to be in a church with uh, such great singing, great doctrinal songs, and uh, it's just a real blessing. It's a real blessing tonight to see so many pe people here on a Sunday evening. It's getting harder to uh, get churches because so many of them don't have Sunday evenings anymore. Many have no midweek service anymore. And so it's a good to see a good number of people here on Sunday evening. Uh, I think if there was any reason that God called me to Macon, and I was there a short time. I was there a short time because I was only 23 years of age. Can you understand why I was there a short time? But uh, it was a joy to be able to introduce my sister to uh, your pastor. And I think if there was any reason that God had me there, that was one of the reasons. Another reason was that I went back there a number of years ago and a man came up to me and he said, you know, you took a group of young people to Bob Jones University and my daughter decided to go. She met her husband. He is a professor of theology there and she is a professor of music. And I thought to myself, isn't God good? So just in a short time, if there was any reason we were there, those are two great reasons. Uh, you're, you know, your pastor, and I, I'm not just saying this because he's my brother-in-law, but um, he's a great preacher. Not only a great expositor, but a great theologian. And I know that you recognize the gift that God's given you here in this uh, pastor-teacher. I, I really enjoyed that message this morning. And he said, I don't know how many times uh, in our short visit here, I love my people. So when you have a pastor who's a great expositor, a great theologian, brings out in his message his church history, the old divines, and then who really loves you, are you blessed or not? I should say, absolutely. And you've got a great pastor's wife. You do. Not just because she's my sister, but I mean that. I've seen a lot of pastor's wives. And you've got a good one. Now, I've got a good pastor's wife right down there, Kathy. Now, this is my second wife. I've had two wonderful wives, not at the same time, <laughs> but one for almost 45 years. She went to be with the Lord in 2014. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. And so I was on the hunt for a second one. And God brought her into my life, Kathy. Without her, I mean, I forget stuff all the time. I've lost two cell phones, both on the top of a car. Anybody done that besides me? No, but one guy, okay. And so she's a great help to me. 
Our brother mentioned the AGC, and he mentioned we have a newsletter, uh, a form for a newsletter right back there. If you would like to be on our newsletter, it's sent out digitally to your computer or your cell phone once a month. Uh, would you please, please print your name and print your email? We'd love to get that to you. That would help you pray for our chaplains. Once a year when I was still pastoring, and I guess it was because I, for 30 years, was an army chaplain. I would have uh, our church folks pray specifically for some of these chaplains, and we get the material from the newsletter, and then I'd ask them, would you write a letter to these chaplains and let them know you're praying for them? You can get the address from our home office. Well, in our last meeting, uh, it was at uh, Stargate Road Baptist Church in Largo, Florida. Anybody ever been to Largo? By near Tampa. I had a couple of guys come up to me and say, Chaplain Chuck, I can't believe it. Somebody from your church wrote a letter to me and said they were praying for us. It meant so much. I'd encourage you maybe to get on, get on that newsletter and pray for those men. They're doing a wonderful, wonderful job for the Lord. Let me start with some good news. As of October 1, the Air Force needed 45 chaplains. The Army needed 129. The Navy nearly 50. Everybody who applied to our organization met the requirements we were able to get on either active duty or reserve duty. Everyone. Had we had more, we could have gotten them on. So what should our prayer be? Lord, raise up more men for this ministry. If there's some man here, I'm not going to say young man, I used to say that, but the Navy took someone who was 46 Used to be 42 was the cutoff, but they needed chaplains desperately. And uh, he, he got on active duty, and he's doing a great job for the Lord now. So if there's any man here who would be interested in this, who has a college degree and is willing to get a seminary degree, uh, we'd love to talk to you. And you would go to your pastor, tell him you might be interested in this. It would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, having said that, when God raises up men to do a job for him and there's blessing, people are being saved, what's the enemy do? He does everything he can to, do, to throw a wrench in it. We are facing in the military chaplaincy, prison and hospital chaplaincies, the things that in a few years will come into these churches. The biggest threat right now is this whole thing of critical race theory. And what it is, in, in essence, is to blame everything that's wrong racially on whites. That's what it is. And we're facing that now. Along with that is the LGBTQ situation. And our chaplains are standing up for the Word of God. Uh, we want to be sympathetic to those outside of Christ. We want to win them to Christ. But we're not going to say what God says is sin is all right. So, you have to have a strong endorsing agency to stand up for your chaplains. And that's what the AGC does.
we took the Navy to court because they were discriminating against Bible-believing chaplains. And the Lord gave us a victory. And we have threatened to take them to court on other issues. You don't like to do that. It costs money to do that. But if you're going to stand up for what's right, you have to. Now, liberal Protestants have a right to have chaplains. Catholics have a right to have chaplains. It's a pluralistic environment. Jews have a right to have chaplains. But ladies and gentlemen, so do you. You have a right to have a man who believes the Bible is God's word. And the only hope for man is to come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. You have a right to have someone like that preaching the Word of God to your sons and daughters and uncles and aunts and those who are incarcerated and those who are in the hospital and to our veterans. You have a right to have that. And so that's just a little bit about the AGC. Uh, it's a wonderful ministry. I enjoy it. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. And uh, I notice you don't have a clock around here anywhere. Is there any reason for that? I'm just trying to judge my time. You know, I went to a school where the president used to say there are three S's in preaching. Number one is to stand up. Number two is to speak up. And number three is to shut up. So I'm going to try to do that tonight. And I invite your attention to the book of Psalms. Psalm 11. Psalm 11, it speaks of a crisis. We don't know the historical background of this psalm, but we do know that David was often in trouble in the court of Saul where he was almost impaled by a javelin. In the wilderness, fleeing from Saul like a frightened dog and during the rebellion of his own son, Absalom. He did flee from Saul's court, and he hid in the wilderness for perhaps 10 years. And he abandoned Jerusalem to Absalom and took refuge over the Jordan. But during this crisis in Psalm 11, David remained on duty, and he trusts in the Lord to protect him. My friends, whatever the crisis, whatever the crisis, this psalm tells us we must make a choice between fear or faith. We can either flee in fear or we can stand firm in faith. Now in verses 1 through 3 we have the advice of fear. What is it? Flee ye as a bird to your mountain. In other words, get out of here. Go to the mountains. Most probably David's advisors are suggesting this course of action. The verb is plural. So these advisors are saying, take your whole court and get out of here. Go to the mountain. Why? Well, in verse 2, because fear sees only the peril. Now, what fear sees is true. What is the peril? Well, it's wicked. It's wicked. For lo, the wicked. And then in verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And then verse 6, upon the wicked he rains coals. 
You see, sin's behind our problem today. Modern psychology has sought to explain away sin. Modern psychology has robbed sinners of their responsibility. Carl Menninger, famed psychiatrist of the Menninger Clinic, wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? He was right. Behind all of our trouble is wickedness. And of course, the wicked one, the father of lies, the murderer, fear sees the wicked. Fear also sees this peril as imminent. Verse 2, for look, the wicked bend their bow. In other words, they're about ready to strike. It's imminent. How quickly has our country slid towards Sodom and Gomorrah? How quickly? Just think, in 2008, President Obama ran against gay marriage. Ran against these things that his party embraces today. That's only 13 years ago. I remember asking my mother, who at that time was in her 90s, she lived to be 101, I said, Mom, how would you compare the America of your day to the America of today? And she put her head down and she said, Son, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. It's though we are on a gigantic roller coaster and we are halfway down and we're picking up speed. The threat is imminent. The bow is bent. We are seeing an assault by the secular left on the very foundation of Western civilization. A total rejection of our Reformation-based Western culture. Al Mohler, who I understand grew up here in Lakeland, current president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary said this last week of the Equity Act passed by the House and now before the Senate if it becomes law he said this we can say goodbye to religious freedom he says the audacity is breathtaking and the threat to America's first liberty is all too real This act amends the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include protection for sexual and gender identity. Under the Equity Act, organizations won't be able to use the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act to challenge or defend against claims of religious discrimination. Moeller says the Equity Act forces religious organizations, institutions, and individual believers into compliance with the new moral regime. This act, says Moeller, pushes out religious freedom from which all other freedoms are eventually derived. As a nation, 
we are heading toward a crisis. The bow is bent. It's imminent. And you know, it's all so subtle. The last part of verse 2, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. It's so subtle. A councilman from my city in Columbus said in defending sodomy, it's all about fairness. Perversion is a civil right. Bible believers are painted as narrow, intolerant bigots. We have no compassion, they say. We don't believe in fairness. We don't believe in constitutional rights. How subtle it is. And then fear sees the peril as unstoppable. And that's verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The implication there is nothing. But that is the position of fear. We can't do anything. The only recourse is to run and hide or to change the metaphor, dig a hole, climb in it, and cover yourself up. There's nothing we can do. But wait, what does faith see? What does faith see? Faith sees all of these things, the subtlety of sin. Faith sees the wickedness of sin. But faith sees something more. Faith sees, first of all, verse 4, an all-sovereign God. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What does faith see? God enthroned. Didn't Isaiah see that? He saw those mighty beings, those seraphim, with two they covered their eyes, with two they covered their feet, and their whole job throughout all eternity is to cry, Holy, Holy, Holy! Didn't Daniel see it? He sure did. I watched, Daniel 7, verse 9, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garments was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand. That's a lot of folks. Ministered to him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and to him was given dominion and glory 
and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. That we have an all-sovereign God is the supreme foundation. That was the psalmist's refuge when you go back to Psalm 11. He begins with that. He says, in the Lord I put my trust. Why do you want me to fear? Faith, you see, sees an all-sovereign God. You know, that's why it's important to come to worship. You do not get your perspective on things from the newspaper. You don't get your perspective on things from the national news media or even Fox News. Where do you get your perspective on things? When you come to the house of God and hear God's Word. You get the right perspective on things. You realize who's in charge. What does faith see? Faith sees a sovereign God. Wesley had it right. Jesus the Savior reigns. He rules o'er earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice. Again I say, rejoice. Faith not only sees an all-sovereign God, it sees an all-knowing God. You say, the wicked are watching us. The wicked watch the righteous. Well, that's true. But what does our text say? Verse 4. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Faith sees an all-knowing God. Years ago, I attended some meetings. It was a patriotic organization whose purpose was to educate people about what was going on. But by the time they got educated in us, I was so depressed. I thought, man, we're doomed. But listen, God knows what the wicked are doing. And He knows what the wicked one is doing. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. My friends, it is foolish to evaluate a situation merely from the human perspective. Do you remember the situation in 2 Kings 6? There was a war between Syria and Israel in Samaria. The Syrian king kept chasing the king of Samaria, but the prophet Elisha kept warning the king of Israel where the Syrian king would attack, and therefore Israel avoided the ambush. The Syrian king didn't understand how the king of Israel kept eluding him. He thought he had a snitch in his camp until he was told about Elisha. The king of Assyria decided to capture Elisha and sent troops to surround the prophet's house. 
Though surrounded, Elisha did not fret because he knew that God had the Syrians surrounded as well. And one of the young men came fretting before Elisha. You know what Elisha prayed? Lord, open his eyes and let him see the hosts of heaven. We need to look at every circumstance in the light of the presence and promise of Almighty God. Faith sees an all-sovereign God. Faith sees an all-knowing God. And finally, faith sees a righteous God. Look at that seventh verse. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. My friends, the Lord is presiding over our trials. Is He not? He is examining us. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. James encourages us to maintain trust in God through life's most difficult moments. When we're tested by trials, our faith only becomes stronger. And these trials push us toward Christ-like maturity of trusting God more deeply and with greater endurance. James says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is the man who perseveres, remains steadfast under trial, because having stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The Lord allows the wicked to test us. But as judge, look at verse 5 and 6, but as judge, look what he'll do to them. The wicked may shoot at us, but notice the images of God's judgment upon them, like the fire and brimstone descending on Sodom and Gomorrah, his wrath will descend on them. Like a scorching wind that blows in from the desert, the storm of God's judgment will overtake unrepentant sinners. And like a poisonous drink, God's righteous judgment will consume the wicked. The NIV translates verse 5, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. But he loves the righteous. The NASV translates the last part of verse, five, uh, verse 7 is, The upright shall behold his face. You know, to turn your face towards someone means... Full acceptance. And if you know the Lord tonight, you've been fully accepted by Him. And when He comes, He will welcome His own into His presence. And they will hear these words, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, when you're facing a crisis, you've got a choice. You can either run away in fear, or you can stand firm in faith. The faithful see an all-sovereign, all-knowing, and all-righteous God. And in Him, we put our trust. 
Campbell Morgan underscores our text succinctly. It is the man who measures things by the circumstances of the hour who is filled with fear and flees. The man who sees God enthroned and governing has no panic. Our Lord, we thank Thee tonight for Thy Word. We thank Thee that knowing Thee is to know life eternal. We thank Thee that we're under Thy protection. Nothing can come our way except it come through Thee. Help us not to be filled with fear, but to stand firm in faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.